0: CHAPTER 1 EARLY ESTABLISHMENT OF MEDINA AND FOUNDATION OF THE ISLAMIC GOVERNMENT STATE OF MEDINA the migration of the Holy Prophet وسلم, and his companions has already been mentioned in Volume 1 of this book. Now, after the migration, the Medinite life of the Holy Prophet وسلم, begins. However, before we begin to discuss this era, it seems necessary to briefly describe the state of Medina itself and its population. Without this, it is difficult to fully understand certain aspects of the Medinite life of the Holy Prophet. It has already been mentioned that prior to the migration of of the Holy Prophet the city of Medina was known by the name Yathrib however after the migration of the Holy Prophet people began referring it to as Medina Tur Rasul i.e. the city of God's messenger then gradually thereafter it became known as Medina Medina is an ancient city in the region of Hijaz situated 200 to 250 miles north of Mecca approximately 50 miles east off the eastern shore of the Red Sea in other words Medina situated close to the ancient desert trade route which runs from Mecca towards Syria. It is for this reason that merchants traveling between Mecca and Syria would at times travel slightly out of their way and stop at Medina as well. As such, many people from Mecca and Medina were acquainted with one another and some even maintained friendly relations. As far as location is concerned, Medina is best described as a valley which was surrounded by small mountains. Among these was the Mount of Uhud, where a horrific war between the Muslims and disbelievers of Mecca took place, sometime afterwards. In comparison to other regions of Arabia, Medina often receives substantial rainfall and the land is also not sandy and infertile, as is generally the case with other places in Arabia. It is for this reason that since ancient times, inhabitants of Medina have always been farmers by profession. In Medina, the warm season is intense and the cold season is bitter. Furthermore, in the era under discussion, malaria and other such epidemics would often break out in Medina and people would suffer severely from fever. As such, in the beginning, when the Holy Prophet ﷺ and his companions migrated to Medina, they suffered immensely due to a change of climate. Many Muslims were struck by fever and their health was adversely affected. As such, the prayer in which the Holy Prophet ﷺ to God upon witnessing the distress of the companions is also recorded in the Ahadith. As a result, Allah delivered the Muslims from this difficulty and the air in Medina was cleansed of epidemic germs to great extent. In that era, the population of Medina was not concentrated, rather it was somewhat dispersed. Every tribe inhabited different areas and had built small castles for their own protection. Ancient records show that the first people to inhabit Yathrib were the Amalik, who planted date orchards there and built small castles. After them, the Jews inhabited this area there are varying accounts as to whether they were of Arab origin or were immigrants. However, historians are of the general opinion that they were mostly from the Bani Israel who migrated from their homeland to live in Arabia. Afterwards, various inhabitants of Arab origin also gradually converted to their religion and began to live with them. In any case, after the Amalek, the Jews took up residence in Medina and they gradually uprooted or expelled the Amalek and took their place. These Jews were divided into three groups, Banu Kainuka, Banu Nadir, and Banu Khuraiza. In the beginning, these three tribes generally lived together in great harmony and unity. In accordance with the customs of that time, these Jews also built small castles for their own residence, which were not attached to one another. Rather, they were situated at a distance from one another in the surroundings of Medina. Trade was the general occupation of the Jews, but some of them were also involved in agriculture. The people of Banu Kainuka were mostly skilled laborers. Since the Jews were more civilized, well-mannered and educated than the people around them, they began to develop influence among the people around them and quickly attained a great deal of power. It was at this time that two tribes from the Banu Katan, who were referred to as the Aus and Khazraj emigrated from Yemen to settle in Medina. These tribes were from the progeny of an individual named Harith bin Talaba who had two sons i.e. Aus and Khazraj. And they lived together in great harmony and love. In the beginning they lived in isolation from the Jews, but later became allies due to their strength and power. After this, the Aus and Khazraj also began to spread and develop strength. They began to be on par with the Jews, but in addition in being more intelligent, civilized, and influential, the Jewish people also had the upper hand in education and religious matters. The Aus and Khazraj were merely idol worshippers and were generally uneducated. Hence the Aus and Khazraj were deeply impressed by the Jews, so much so that whenever an individual from the Aus or Khazraj was unable to give birth to a male child, he would vow that if a son was born to him, he would make him a Jew. As such, many people became Jews in this manner, and their strength grew day by day to the extent that in the vanity of their power, the Jews began to inflict an array of cruelties upon the Aus and Khazraj. Due to this, relations between the Jews deteriorated substantially with the Aus and Khazraj. Eventually, on account of their frustration, the latter tribes had the eminent leaders from among the Jews cunningly murdered with the assistance of the leader of the state of Khazan. The inevitable outcome of this was that the Jews lost their strength and the Aus and Khazraj attained supremacy in the city. However, another outcome which slowly but surely began to manifest itself after the Jews lost their strength was that the Aus and Khazraj who until then had lived together in peace and harmony. Due to their opposition, of the Jews, now began to fight and quarrel amongst themselves. Ultimately, these civil wars took on such a vast and horrific state that on account of being relentlessly slaughtered at the hands of one another, both tribes became very weak. The Jews, who were probably responsible for igniting the fire of the civil war, found another opportunity to gain strength. The outcome was that the Alston Khazraj, once again, looked towards the Jewish tribes for support and sought their aid in opposition to one another. As such, the Banu Kainuka allied with the Khazraj, whereas the Banu Nadir and Banu Khuraiza allied with the Aus. In this manner, the entire city became engulfed in the fire of a horrific civil war. The people of Yathrib were in this very state of civil war when according to the divine command, the Holy Prophet wasallam made his claim to prophethood in Mecca. As such, the last battle between the Aus and Khazraj, which is known as the Battle of Buath in Arab history, took place in the prophetic era of the Holy Prophet, while he resided in Mecca. There was such immense carnage in this war and so many people were killed from both parties that as a last option, both the Aus and Khazraj were compelled to reconcile with one another. Hence, both tribes consulted each other and came to the agreement that in accordance with a few conditions, they would accept Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul, who was a renowned and cunning chieftain from the Khazraj to be their sole leader. Preparations for his formal coronation began. However, Abdullah had yet to be decorated with the crown of leadership over the Aus and Khazraj when the voice of Islam reached Medina and the course of events took a new turn. It is for this reason that Abdullah bin Ubay considered the arrival of the Holy Prophet to Medina as being one of a rival who had snatched away his proposed crown of leadership over the Aus and Khazraj. Hence, the fire of jealousy and enmity began to burn in his heart. Moreover, since he did not possess the courage to openly stand against the Holy Prophet, In the opposition of his tribe, instead of opposing the Holy Prophet openly, he began to secretly conspire and oppose him. After the Battle of Badr, he apparently accepted Islam as well. However, his ailment of the heart could not be lessened and this is the state in which he died. Arrival in Cuba, 20 September 622 AD After presenting a brief account of the state of affairs prevalent in Medina and its inhabitants, we return to our actual subject. It has already been mentioned that when the Ansar heard of the arrival of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, the plain of Medina began to echo with slogans proclaiming the greatness of Allah. People quickly began to arrange their weapons and eagerly made haste the direction from which the Holy Prophet ﷺ was arriving. This was a wonderful time. The chief of mankind, the holy chosen one of God, in whose person the message of prophethood was to reach its perfection, distressed by the persecution of his friends and relatives left his homeland for a city, which in terms of worldly relations was a city of strangers. Yet God instilled such love into the hearts of these very strangers that the love of blood relations seemed absolutely worthless in comparison. From that day, the fate of Aus and Khazraj became so closely intertwined with the destiny of Islam that it is impossible for any historian of the world to mention one without the other. These Bedouins of Arabia spent most of their time indulging in alcohol, adultery, gambling, and violence. There is no doubt that Islam raised them from the depths of a dark abyss of disgrace to a most brilliant summit of prosperity. None have done a favor upon Islam. Rather, it is every single Muslim who is subject to the favor of Islam. Nonetheless, it is also a historical fact that the selfless dedication with which these pioneer devotees of Islam sacrificed their lives, and the fervent love and compassion with which they irrigated the delicate and young plant of Islam with the water of their blood, is unparalleled in the history of the world. However, I should return from my subject matter. When the Ansar laid eyes upon the Holy Prophet ﷺ, their faces lit up with joy, and they felt as if they had attained all the rewards of this world and the next in the person of the Holy Prophet. As such, there is a narration in Bukhari related to Bara bin Azib that I have never seen the Ansars so happy as they were at the arrival of the Holy Prophet to Medina on any other occasion. Dhirmidhi and Ibn Majah have related from Anas bin Malik that when the Holy Prophet ﷺ arrived, we felt as if Medina had become illuminated and on the day that the Holy Prophet passed away, the city of Medina never seemed darker. After meeting the people who had come to receive him, the Holy Prophet ﷺ, due to a reason which history has not recorded, did not enter the city directly. Instead, the Holy Prophet traveled out of his way to the right and went to an elevated habitation named Guba, which was situated at a distance of 2 to 2.5 miles from the city. Various families of the Ansar resided here, among them the family of Amr bin Al-Auf is distinct. In that era Khultum bin Al-Hadam was the chief of this family. The Ansar of Kuba gave the Holy Prophet ﷺ, a very warm welcome. The Holy Prophet stayed in the home of Khultum bin Al-Hadam. Those Muhajireen who had already reached Kuba prior to the arrival of the Holy Prophet were residing in the home of Khultum bin Al-Hadam and other nobles from among the Ansar. Perhaps this is the reason behind the Holy Prophet deciding to first stop in Kuba. In an instance, news of the arrival of the Holy Prophet spread throughout Medina. All of the Muslims began to gather in troops at the residence of the Holy Prophet restlessly in the fervor of their love. At that time, a strange occurrence took place which alludes to the simplicity of the assembly of the Holy Prophet. Among those people of Medina who had not previously seen the Holy Prophet, some mistakenly thought that Hazrat Abu Bakr was the messenger of Allah. However, it was only when the sun came out and Hazrat Abu Bakr shaded the Holy Prophet with his mantle that this misunderstanding was resolved. The cause of this misunderstanding was that despite being younger in age, Hazrat Abu Bakr apparently seemed older than the Holy Prophet. Moreover, in comparison to the Holy Prophet, much of his hair had become white. And since there was no formal seating arrangement in the assembly, nor was there any distinct seat for the Holy Prophet, those who were unaware were temporarily misled. There's a slight variance in the narrations which relate to the arrival of the Holy Prophet in Kuba and the completion of the journey of migration. Historians generally believe that it was a Monday on the 12th of Rabbiul Awal, however some scholars have written that it was the 8th. Other mathematicians are of the belief that according to the Christian calendar system it was the 20th of September 622. The Islamic calendar begins from the event of migration, however the year does not begin from Rabiul Awal which was the month of migration. Rather, it begins from Muharram, which is considered to be the first month of the lunar calendar. As such, the first year of Hijrah did not actually consist of 12 months, rather only of 9 months and some days. There is also a difference of opinion among the historians with relation to the era in which the Hijrah calendar system was formally instituted. Hakim was narrated in Ikhlil that the Holy Prophet wasallam initiated this calendar himself after the migration. However, in light of other narrations, most historians believe that this calendar was formally initiated in the Khalafat of Hazrat Umar. Historians write that the first task which the Holy Prophet undertook in Kuba was to erect a mosque. The Holy Prophet laid the foundation stone of this mosque and with his own blessed hand. The companions worked together as laborers and builders. After a few days of hard work, the mosque was complete. The Holy Prophet possessed great love for this mosque until the end of his life. As such, even after taking residence in Medina, the Holy Prophet wasallam would visit Cuba every week and offer salat in this mosque. Various scholars believe that this very mosque of Cuba is the one which has been revealed in the Holy Quran. There is no doubt that Muslims had erected various mosques prior to this as well. However, the mosque at Kuba was indeed the first mosque in Islam, the foundation of which was laid at the hands of the Holy Prophet wasallam on the first day after the completion of the migration. Muslims built this mosque as a national place of worship. It has already been mentioned that when the Holy Prophet wasallam emigrated from Mecca, he left Hazrat Ali in his place and strictly instructed him to return everyone's trusts and quickly reach Medina. As such, the Holy Prophet ﷺ had only been in Kuba for three days when Hazrat Ali also reached there safely. However, until then, the family members of the Holy Prophet ﷺ were still in Mecca. Arrival at Medina and the First Friday Prayer the Holy Prophet ﷺ was perhaps still in Cuba when the Muslims of Medina began to discuss whose home the Holy Prophet ﷺ would stay at. Every family desired the honor of hosting the Holy Prophet. When the Holy Prophet heard of this disagreement, he said, I will stay with the maternal relations of Abdul Mutlib, the Banu Najr. This was a very wise decision of the Holy Prophet, whereby the possibility of unbecoming emotions of enmity arising amongst the various tribes, prevented. Everyone was satisfied with this decision of the Holy Prophet. Although everyone was equivalent in faith and sincerity, the Banu Najr definitely possessed the additional distinction that Salama, the mother of Abdul Mutlib, who was a paternal grandfather of the Holy Prophet, was from this family. After a stay of more than 10 days in Cuba, on Friday, the Holy Prophet wasallam set out for the heart of the city. A large party from among the Ansar and Muhajireen accompanied the Holy Prophet. The Holy Prophet was riding a camel and Hazrat Abu Bakr was behind him. Slowly but surely, this caravan slowly began to advance towards the city. The time for Friday prayers arrived en route. The Holy Prophet wasallam stopped in the neighborhood of the Banu Salim bin Auf. He delivered a sermon to his companions and led the Friday prayer. Historians write that although the Friday prayer had already begun, this was the first prayer service which the Holy Prophet led himself. After this, the Friday prayer service formally began. In actuality, Friday is an Eid for the Salat. Just as Eid al-Fitr is the Eid for the fasting of Ramadan and Eid al-Adha is the Eid for Hajj. It is for this reason that the Friday prayer has been given great significance in the Islamic Sharia. In this service, the Imam delivers a sermon in which matters of current relevance are discussed. The congregation is exhorted with regards to faith and good deeds. And after this, two rakat of obligatory prayer are offered. The Holy Prophet ﷺ would also instruct that on Friday every Muslim should as much as possible bathe, wear clean clothes, use fragrance and reach the mosque before the sermon begins. In remembrance, a mosque named Masjid Juma has now been built at the place where the Holy Prophet led this Friday prayer service. After completing the Friday prayers, the caravan of the Holy Prophet ﷺ continued to slowly proceed further. When the Holy Prophet would pass by the homes of Muslims, in the fervor of their love, they would move forward and say, O Messenger of Allah, this is our home. Our wealth and lives are at your behest. We also possess means of protection. Please stay with us. The Holy Prophet ﷺ would supplicate for their prosperity and slowly move towards the city. In the fervor of their happiness, the Muslim ladies and girls climbed the roofs of their homes and began singing. Today, the full moon has risen upon us from the valleys of Mount Wada. For this reason, gratitude to Allah has become forever obligatory upon us. The Muslim children ran about in the streets and alleys of Medina singing, Muhammad has arrived. The Messenger of Allah has arrived. To express their happiness upon the arrival of the Holy Prophet, the Abyssinian slaves of Medina would move about demonstrating their feats of swordmanship. When the Holy Prophet entered the city, every individual desired the Holy Prophet stay with him. Each and every person would advance to offer his services. The Holy Prophet would respond lovingly to everyone and move forward until his she-camel reached the neighborhood of the Banu Najr. At this place, the people of Banu Najr stood in rows, decorated with arms to welcome the Holy Prophet. The girls of this tribe were reciting the following couplet whilst beating their drums. We are girls of the Banu Najr. How fortunate are we that Muhammad, the Messenger of Allah, has come to stay in our neighborhood. When the Holy Prophet reached the Banu Najr, the question once again posed itself as to which person the Holy Prophet ﷺ would stay with. Every individual of the tribe was desirous that he be the one to receive this honor. As a matter of fact, in the fervor of their love, some would even take hold of the reins of the camel belonging to the Holy Prophet. Upon seeing this, the Holy Prophet said, Leave my camel, for at this time it has been divinely inspired. In other words, wherever Allah so desired it, it would sit down itself, and upon saying this, the Holy Prophet also released its reins. The camel gracefully advanced and sat down when it reached the place where later the Masjid an nabwi the living quarters of the Holy Prophet, were built. At the time, this was an uncultivated plot of land, which the property of two children from Medina, Immediately, however, it stood up and began to move forward. But after a few steps, it once again returned to its initial place of resting and sat down. The Holy Prophet ﷺ stated, "It seems as if the will of Allah desires that this be our place of residence." After this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ supplicated to Allah and dismounted from his camel. Then the Holy Prophet inquired as to whose home was closest from that place. Abu Ayyub Ansari rushed forward and said, O oh Messenger of Allah, it is mine, and this is the entrance to my home. You are most welcome. The Holy Prophet Sallam said, All right, then go and prepare a place for me to stay. Residence at the home of Abu Ayyub. Abu Ayyub Ansari immediately prepared his home and returned. The Holy Prophet ﷺ proceeded inside along with him. This was a two-story home. Abu Ayyub desired that the Holy Prophet stay on the top floor. However, taking into consideration the ease of those people who would come to visit, the Holy Prophet preferred the ground floor and resided there. At nightfall, Abu Ayyub and his wife could not sleep all night in the thought that the Holy Prophet was beneath them, and they were above him. In addition to this, it so happened that during the night, a pail of water broke on the roof. In his fear, Abu Ayyub quickly placed his quilt over the water to dry it in order to prevent even a single droplet of water from seeping into the ground floor. In the morning, he presented himself before the Holy Prophet and implored the Holy Prophet to stay in the top floor. At first, the Holy Prophet hesitated, but upon witnessing the insistence of Abu Ayyub, he agreed. The Holy Prophet stayed in this home for seven months, or according to Ibn Ishaq, he remained here until the month of Safar 2 AH. In other words, the Holy Prophet remained here until the construction of Masjid al-Nabwi, the adjacent living quarters of the Holy Prophet. Abu Ayyub would present food to the Holy Prophet, and then whatever would remain of it, he would eat himself. Due to his love and sincerity, he would eat from where the Holy Prophet ﷺ had taken his food. Other companions would also present food to the Holy Prophet. As such, among these people, the name of Sa'd bin Urbada, chieftain of the Khazraj tribe, has been mentioned particularly in history. Anas bin Malik was a 10-year-old orphan of Medina. His mother, Ummi Salama, who was very sincere, brought him to the Holy Prophet and said, O Messenger of Allah, I present Anis in your service. Kindly pray for him and accept him so that he may serve you. The Holy Prophet ﷺ supplicated for his prosperity and accepted him in his service. After this, Anas bin Malik began to live in the service of the Holy Prophet and did not depart from this service until the demise of the Holy Prophet. This is the same Anas on whose authority many narrations have been related in the books of hadith. He was from among the distinct companions of the Holy Prophet. Anas was blessed with a long life and passed away in 91 after Hijra or 93 after Hijra at Basra, when there was perhaps only one or two other companions alive at the time. In his last days he would often say that, due to the prayer of the Holy Prophet, my wealth and progeny were blessed more than I could imagine. Now I am only waiting for his prayer regarding paradise to be fulfilled in my favor. Shortly after reaching Medina, the Holy Prophet sent Zad bin Haritha to Mecca with some money. In a few days, he returned safely to Medina with the family of the Holy Prophet and his own. Along with him, Abdullah bin Abi Bakr also brought the family of Hazrat Abu Bakr to Medina as well. Construction of Masjid-e Nabwi Upon arriving in Medina, the first task was the construction of masjid the place where the camel of the Holy Prophet ﷺ chose to rest was the property of two children from Medina named Sahal and Sohel, who lived in the guardianship of Hazrat Asad bin Zurara. This was a vacant land on which a few date palms had been planted in one area, in another area there were ruins, etc. The Holy Prophet ﷺ selected this plot to construct Masjid al and his own living quarters. This plot of land was purchased for 10 dinar or approximately 90 rupees. The surface was leveled and cleared of trees, after which the construction of Masjid al began. The Holy Prophet ﷺ supplicated to Allah and laid the foundation stone himself. Just as in the construction of the mosque at Kuba, the companions worked as builders and laborers, the holy prophets of Allah would also participate at times. Occasionally, while lifting bricks, the companions would recite the following couplet of Abdullah bin Rawawa. This burden is not the burden of Khaybar's commercial goods, which arrive loaded on the backs of animals. Rather, O our Lord, this is the burden of virtue and purity, which we bear for your pleasure. At times, the companions would recite the following couplet of Abdullah bin Ruwaha. O our Allah, true reward is merely that of the hereafter. By your grace, send down mercy upon the Ansar and Mahajireen. When the companions would recite this couplet, at times, the Holy Prophet sallam would also join in. In this manner, after a long period of hard work, the mosque was completed. The structure of the mosque was made from slabs and bricks, which were assembled between wooden pillars. The roof was covered by trunks and branches of date palms. Trunks of date palms were placed inside the mosque to support the roof. Until the building of a pulpit was proposed, the Holy Prophet would lean upon one of these trunks, when delivering his sermon. The floor of the mosque was unpaved and since the roof would leak after heavy rainfall, the floor of the mosque would become muddy. As such, in light of this difficulty, later on a floor of gravel was paved. Initially, the direction of the mosque was towards Betul but after the alteration of the Qibla, this orientation was changed. At that time, the height of the mosque was 10 feet, the length was 105 feet, and the width was 90 feet. Later on, however, this was extended. To one corner of the mosque, a veranda was built, which was referred to as Sufa. This was for those destitute muhajireen who were homeless. These people would stay here and were known as the Ashab-us-Sufa. As such, they would remain in the company of the Holy Prophet day and night, perform worship and recite the Holy Qur'an. These people possessed no means of permanent subsistence. The Holy Prophet would take care of them personally and whenever the Holy Prophet would receive a gift, etc., or there was something available at home, he would especially separate their share. As a matter of fact, at times the holy prophet would himself starve and send whatever was in his home to the Ashab Safa. The Ansar would also remain engaged in their hospitality in as much as possible and would often attach clusters of dates within the mosque. However, despite all this, they lived in a state of adversity and would often reach a state of starvation. This state continued until some found work due to the expansion of Medina and others began receiving support from the national Beitul Mal. A place of residence was constructed for the Holy Prophet adjacent to the mosque. His home was a small chamber of merely 10 to 15 feet. A single entrance led from this chamber to the mosque, from which the Holy Prophet would enter the mosque to lead the salat, etc. When the number of his wives increased, additional living quarters were also built for the Holy Prophet alongside the first. The homes of various other companions were also built in close proximity of the mosque. This was the Masjid al-Nabwi, which was constructed in Medina. In that era, since there was no other public building where tasks of national importance could be performed, the mosque also served as the headquarters of administration. The assembly of the Holy Prophet would take place here. It was here that all types of consultation took place. Legal verdicts were passed from here. It was from here that injunctions would be issued forth. This was the official guest house, and if required, it would be used as a confinement for prisoners as well. Alluding to this mosque, Sir William Muir writes, But though rude in material and comparatively insignificant in dimension, the mosque of Muhammad is glorious in the history of Islam. Here the Prophet and his companions spent the greater portion of their time. Here the daily service, with its oft-recurring prayers, was first publicly established. Here the great congregation assembled every week and trembled often while they listened to the orations of the Prophet and his messages from heaven. Here he planned victories. From this spot he sent forth envoys to kings and emperors with summons to embrace Islam. Here he received embassies of contrite and believing tribes and from hence issued commands which carried consternation amongst the rebellious to the very outskirts of the peninsula. In the room of Aisha, he yielded up the ghost, and there he lies buried. This mosque and its adjoining chambers were constructed in a period of seven months, more or less. The Holy Prophet wasallam) took up residence in his new home, along with his wife, Hajrat Auda. Various other muhajireen also acquired land from the Ansar and built homes in close proximity of the mosque. Those who could not obtain land near the mosque constructed their homes at a distance from the mosque. Others were fortunate enough to procure pre-constructed houses from the Ansar. Commencement of Fazan. Until now, there was no arrangement for a call to Salat or Azan, etc. The companions would generally congregate in the mosque at the approximately time themselves. These state of affairs, however, were not satisfactory. Upon the construction of Masjid Nubwi, the question as to how Muslims would be congregated at the appropriate time was felt even more. One companion proposed the use of a bell like the Christians, someone proposed the use of a trumpet like the Jews, and others made other suggestions. However, Hazrat Umar proposed that an individual be appointed to announce that it is time for Salat at the appointed time. The Holy Prophet wasallam approved this proposal and appointed Hazrat Bilal to perform this duty. As such, after this, when the time for Salat would arrive, Hazrat Bilal would announce in a loud voice, Salatu Ja me atun, and people would congregate for the salat. As a matter of fact, the very same call would be made if it was necessary to congregate in the Muslims in the mosque for a purpose other than salat as well. Some time afterwards, the words of the current azan were taught to a companion named Abdullah bin Zaid Ansari in a dream. He presented himself before the Holy Prophet and mentioned this dream, saying, "I saw an individual in my dream call out such and such words as if calling the azan." The Holy Prophet, sallallahu alaihi said, "This dream is from Allah," and instructed Abdullah to teach these words to Bilal. A strange coincidence was that when Bilal called out the Izzan in these words for the very first time, upon hearing them, Hazrat Umar made haste to the Holy Prophet and said, O Messenger of Allah, today the words in which Bilal called out the Izzan were exactly those which I also saw in my dream." In one narration, it has also been related that when the Holy Prophet heard these words of the azan, he said, Revelation has already been sent down as such. Therefore, in this manner, the current method of azan commenced. The method which commenced in this manner is so blessed and attractive that no other method can compare to it. In other words, the unity of God and the prophethood of Muhammad wasallam the Messenger of Allah, is proclaimed five times daily from every mosque, in every village, of every city in the Islamic world. A summary of Islamic teachings is conveyed to the people in extremely beautiful and comprehensive words. Increase in the rakat of Salat It has already been mentioned that the Salat, which is considered to be the most significant worship in Islam, had already been ordained in Mecca. However, aside from the Maghrib prayer, which consisted of three Rakaat, All of the other compulsory prayers consisted of two rakat. Sometime after the migration, however, in accordance with divine command, while the same two rakat remained for salat offered on journey, the number of rakat for salat offered in a state of fixed residence was increased to four rakat each except for Fajr at Maghrib prayer. In this manner, a distinction was drawn between Salat offered on a journey and a state of fixed residence. A distinct feature of the teaching brought by the Holy Prophet wasallam is that a middle course has been taken in all of its injunctions. All of those practical difficulties have been taken into account, which continue to pose themselves in the life of an individual. As such, there are many injunctions even in the matters of salat which change based on differing circumstances. For example, the distinction between salat offered on a journey and in a state of fixed residence has just been mentioned. In addition to this, it is necessary to maintain the apparent form of salat in normal circumstances. However, an individual who cannot offer the salat and is prescribed form due to an illness etc is permitted to forego its apparent form and offer his salat while sitting Or if this is difficult as well even whilst lying down. Similarly, it is compulsory to face the Kaaba during Salat. Despite this, however, when a person is on a journey and he is unable to ascertain the direction upon his means of conveyance, or if it is difficult to maintain direction, Islam permits such an individual to offer his Salat in the direction of his conveyance. Similarly, it is necessary to perform ablution in the prescribed manner for the Salat. However, an individual who cannot obtain water or is at a risk of contracting an illness if he performs ablution is permitted to leave it, etc. Similarly, whenever a reasonable and practical difficulty presents itself, Islam appropriately alters the form of its injunctions and presents another alternative. This demonstrates that firstly, the message of Islam possesses universal dimensions which fully takes varying circumstances into account. Secondly, the true essence of the Islamic Shariat is the spirit of worship and its physical form has only been prescribed to sustain and protect that spirit. It is for this reason that whenever it becomes difficult to maintain the physical form due to a change in circumstances the physical form is abandoned and the spirit is maintained at this occasion, it would not be out of place to mention that all of the Islamic forms of worship, the Holy Prophet ﷺ, has laid out most emphasis on salat. The Holy Prophet would state that salat is the miraj of a believer. Moreover, he would state that salat is such a form of worship in which a servant converses with God and reaches the assembly of Allah as it were. The Holy Prophet possesses such a deep love for salat that in addition to the five daily prayers, which were of course compulsory, the Holy Prophet would offer voluntary salat in great abundance as well. The Holy Prophet was so fond of the hajjad prayer, i.e. the late night prayer, that the Holy Prophet would wake up regularly to offer this prayer without fail. It has been narrated that the Holy Prophet would stand in the hajjad prayer for so long that at times his feet would become swollen. The Holy Prophet would say, Salat is a delight of my eyes. He would exhort his companions to offer prayer saying, If people knew the spiritual reward for offering Salat in congregation, even if they were compelled to crawl to the mosque upon their knees, they would do so. In his terminal illness, when the Holy Prophet would repeatedly become unconscious and was in a state of extreme anxiety, one morning he lifted the covering which availed his entrance and saw the companions offering their morning salat in the mosque. Upon witnessing this sight, the countenance of the Holy Prophet lit up with such immense pleasure as if a flower which had withered away was once again immediately restored to full bloom. Then, in some ne- Narrations has been related that the last words which were heard upon the tongue of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, were, O people of my community, do not be unmindful of my teaching with respect to salat and slaves. First Muslim from among the Jews. Among those who had become Muslim until now, there were perhaps a few Christians who had converted, but there were no Jewish converts yet. Nonetheless, after the migration, this began as well. And although very few people from among the Jews accepted the Holy Prophet ﷺ in his lifetime, this nation did not remain entirely deprived. The very first Jew who was honored by accepting Islam was Hassin bin Salam. This individual was a resident of Medina and possessed great influence among the Jews on account of his knowledge and wisdom. The Holy Prophet ﷺ was still in Medina when this individual heard of his claim and began to feel inclined towards Islam. Until now, however, he had not revealed his inner state to anyone. When the Holy Prophet ﷺ arrived in Medina, this individual presented himself before the Holy Prophet in secret and since he possessed a virtuous disposition, became Muslim in this very first meeting. After becoming Muslim, he felt a deep longing that the people of his tribe would not not remain deprived of the light which had illuminated his own heart therefore he requested the holy prophet to invite eminent leaders from among the jews and convey the message of islam to them he further requested the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to inquire of them as to what opinion they held of him and how they perceived him, so that if they expressed a positive opinion with respect to him, perhaps his acceptance of Islam would become a source of guidance for them. As such, Hassin bin Salam hid to one side and the Holy Prophet invited the leaders from among the Jews and conveyed the message of Islam to them. They did not accept him, then the Holy Prophet inquired of their opinion with regards to Hassin bin Salam, upon which they greatly praised his knowledge and wisdom and said that he was their chief and the son of a chief, etc. The Holy Prophet said, Look here, if he becomes a Muslim, would you be prepared to accept Islam? They responded, We seek refuge from Allah. It can never happen that Haseen becomes a Muslim. The Holy Prophet summoned Haseen and he came out of hiding. He addressed the Jewish leaders saying, O my people, fear God and do not invite the punishment of Allah upon yourselves. You are all well aware that Muhammad wasallam has been mentioned in your book and he is the same Prophet who was promised to you. So fear God and do not step towards rejection. At first, these Jewish people were extraordinarily confounded. Then they began to say, we do not believe Hassin. He is a fabricator and a great liar. Thereafter, they left the assembly of the Holy Prophet, cursing Hassin bin Salam. After scene became a Muslim, the Holy Prophet changed his name to Abdullah and this is the name that he was known by in accounts of history and ahadith. In actuality, it was the custom of the Holy Prophet that when an individual would become Muslim, he would generally leave that person's name unchanged. However, if a person's name was polytheistic, the Holy Prophet would change it. The name of Hassin bin Salam was not polytheistic, but perhaps the Holy Prophet thought it was appropriate to change his name to a purely Muslim one, since this individual was the first Muslim convert from among the Jews.